podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. From earaches to strep tests, there's MinuteClinic at CVS. See a provider, fill a prescription, and grab essentials. Or see us online with telehealth options. That's healthier made easier. Visit MinuteClinic at CVS today. Services vary by location. See MinuteClinic.com for details. Home sense. Why is it home sense? The prices make sense. Ooh, outdoor is in. Are those plates melamine? Pretty planters, pillows, lanterns. Pretty much everything outdoor. And the savings. What oh, makes sense to me now? Out save on outdoor. Find a store at homesense.com. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Midweek Fix with me, Jamie Home. after what has been another soap opera of a week in the world of football. Just when you think things couldn't get any more crazy, the season finds a way of surprising us. So tonight, what we're going to do, we're going to discuss a topic that has caused me many an emotional battle this season. Um, and that's where the football has now become broken and our fans now in danger of falling out of love with the game. So joining me tonight to give us their thoughts, we have resident tripper Shawnee Lawson. We have Conan Doherty of the Villa podcast and journalist, broadcaster and big Everton fan, Paddy McKenna. Now, before I bring the lads in, quick shout out to footballprizes.co.uk. This week's prize is a signed and framed Anfield street sign by the main man himself, Jurgen Klopp. It's $3.95 to enter. There are 65 tickets available and the offer ends tomorrow at 7.30. So be quick if you want to be in with a chance to win it. Now, Shawnee, I'm going to come to you first as I know you've had similar feelings towards football this season and become a little disconnected with it after you know what, what's been another week of talking points, basically talking points about anything other than actual football. How can you kind of sum up everything that's happened this season from a fan's perspective and, and how has it made you feel? See, it's difficult because after what was last season, um, obviously the end of the third year away, there was always going to be some sort of drop-off at this Liverpool side um, along the way. Now, drop-off being what maybe finishing second or third. Um because we all know how difficult it is to re- retain titles and to, to go again, especially when there's a Man City team like that in the league with you. But I suppose how our season has played out has been one of those things where like, if we fell into a barrel of tits, we'd probably come out sucking our thumbs because we've just <laughs> been that unlucky. I love and, your sayings, mate. I've never heard <laughs> any of these before. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it was injuries after injury after injury just rolling on and even before injuries we, we go away to Villa Park and we get absolutely smashed off the pitch where literally every shot Villa takes going in the back of the net so yes you're kind of waiting for a break we were waiting for a break the whole time waiting for it to turn around now that being said we were top on Christmas Day in the Premier League but it was a complete false position we were so lucky to be where we were after that amount of games and the drop-off was always going to come. But apart from the side of that, it was VAR. It was terrible officiating. It was just soulless football with no fans in the ground. And we all thought that by Christmas, maybe there would be, what, 10, 20K, like stadium, some sort of uh, some sort of fan presence in the ground. But it never came. And I think at the start... 
after Project Restart with the Bundesliga and that coming back, everyone was just delighted to have some sort of football back because we had that barren spell during the first lockdown where there was nothing, no football at all. I think there was lads betting on the Bulgarian Premier League just to get the streams up on Bet365, just to watch a bit of live football. So we kind of accepted it in the way it was when it came back, but it's just not the same. And it hasn't been the same. And I'm I'm speaking purely from a Liverpool point of view. Maybe if that was us tonight contesting the Champions League semi-final and in a title run-in, I would probably feel different. Yeah, I am being partisan, absolutely. But it's just not the game as we know it. Uh, It just... Between being over analysed, over officiated, and the spectacle is just not there uh, the way it was. And I'm just I'm hoping to God that when kickoff comes along uh, in August for uh, the next season that there'll be fans there and maybe there'll be a bit of life back in the grounds and in the game itself. Now the, the the reason, well, one of the main reasons, apart from you both being great guests, is it, you know, Conan uh, Paddy, you don't support Liverpool. And one of these kind of internal battles that I've had is, and, and as I said to Shawnee, has it has my kind of love affair with football been damaged because Liverpool have ultimately had a poor season by their standards? And as Shawnee says, a lot of things have kind of gone wrong. Colin, I'll come to you because from a Villa perspective, you know, you started off like a house on fire. You know, the the the, the club were playing fantastically well. They've got one of the, the the league's best players in Jack Grealish. From your perspective, do you have similar feelings to myself and Shawnee in terms of how we're feeling about the game at the moment, or do you have a different view? There was a, a stage during the season when Villa were, were flying, and every time you tweeted, <laughs> I was starting to not like you a little bit more every time, Jamie, because I thought, <laughs> would you just shut up? Like, you know, Villa were, were, were threatening. You, are you Cam- blaming me for Villa's decline here? Is that what you're trying to do? <laughs> like there were stages where we were we were mad to talk about Champions League push, and then I had people like you talking about it not being a real season, and it's all pointless. And <laughs> I was like, what, gee, the one time we're good, I have somebody here just in the back of my head all the time, you know, saying that. So there was definitely that partisan element to me as well, where I was like, can we not all just agree that it is a real season and it is great and everything's normal and Villa are just class, and they've fallen off a cliff since, right? So I've been trying to remove myself a little bit from it because, again, I am biased because, like, Villa were in the championship for three years, you know, so it's still a much bigger high than I've been used to. And I'm still going to tune in next year, you know, and we probably all still will. I I understand your point and you'll probably flesh it out a little bit. But I I think part of the problem at the minute is that there's nothing else happening in the world. Like, you know, it's starting to open up a little bit now in England. But for the last year, there was nothing going on. And football, like, we all we all cared about it so much. But then it became the only thing that was happening. And and that was actually great for a few weeks. It was like, Jesus, isn't it good to have football back as a centerpiece? Isn't it good to have a distraction? But then, like, there, there was literally nothing going on in your life where it wasn't like you were coming home, doing a few other things, and then, oh, the football's on at eight, I'll watch this. It was, everything was geared towards eight o'clock watching the football and then back around to the next week and and Shawnee used the term overanalyze because there was nothing else to analyze. We weren't in work. We weren't bitching. We weren't uh, weren't meeting people out and about. We weren't playing our own sport. We were just waiting for football. And what happens then when it's it's not good? And like definitely I think there's elements of of the season that haven't been good and we'll, we'll get into those. But when it's not good and you're investing so much time but also so much 
too much mental energy into it, you get a little paranoid. You start thinking, is this the best use of my time? <laughs> like, you know, when, yeah. when everything in your life is geared towards this match and it's ultimately boring or shit, then you start questioning how much time you're giving over to this, like, and, and how much of your emotions you're giving over to it. And, and the only thing I'll say finally on it is I, I don't think the way the fixtures are laid out help. Like, if you look from, I think it's Friday now coming up, there are nine days in a row yeah. of Premier League football, but until the back end of the next Sunday. You think it's overkill? It's, yeah, it's 22 games. It's not, it's not overkill. It's it's so spread out. Like, there's not one time in those 22 matches are there two games on at once. We don't, like, we don't need Wolves and Burnley on, like, you know, on a 12.30 on Saturday. Like, part of the, the joy of football was that you had that sort of communal experience where there were six games at three o'clock and you weren't watching them, but even if the game you were watching wasn't good, this event was happening, like, you know, it was a big event of football, like, you know, Shawnee mentioned uh, putting on a bet or, like, chatting to your mates or checking in on Paddy to see Everton losing again. You know, it was uh, there was a bit more going on other than just the, the game that you're watching, but the fact that it's so spread out now, you were watching one game at a time, and I go back to the point that Shawnee made, everything's overanalyzed, and then when there's a bad VAR decision, there's just this one match that we have to just sit and pick the bones off it. When it's a boring match, we have to sit and dwell in it. You know, and then it's, it's it, there's not enough going on for the way it's happening. And I think because because it's so spread out like that, it's magnifying all the little the little shit parts of the game. It's funny that you say about a good use of your time because another thing that I've discovered and Shawnee is part of the blame, uh, a game called Warzone on the PlayStation. And you'll know, lads, because, uh, and, and Paddy, you, you know, you've got kids. We have very small windows where we're allowed to do like our own thing. So if I'm committing to 90 minutes of football and it's absolutely terrible, I could have used that 90 minutes to play Warzone <laughs> with the lads, you know. So I'm having, I've got yeah. a bit, you know, there's a bit of give and take in my household. How have you kind of found the season, Paddy? Obviously, from, from a Blues perspective, um, you, you know, there's been there's been some green shoots, there's been some positives, but as a general fan watching the game, how are you kind of fe- feeling yourself as the season goes on? Oh, I think your microphone's dropped there, Paddy. You're on mute. How's that? How's that? There you How's go. That? You're back. You're back with us, mate. You were just oh, telling us how good Everton were, yeah. <laughs> I was just starting into my uh, Hamas Rodriguez uh, uh, praise, but uh, no, look at it. What I was saying there, Jimmy, was it hasn't been it hasn't been good, but in many respects, I felt it's it's been enough. It's been yeah. enough to get us through it. This has f- felt like a kind of an interim season, like it, it. That is what it is, and I mean, it's probably easier for an Everton fan, Villa fan, or Liverpool fan to say that than it is for a Leicester fan a West Ham fan or even a Chelsea fan because they're experiencing what is, especially would say for West Ham, an amazing season. I actually feel sorry for them. And one of the funniest tweets off the back of, uh, off the back of the Super League was like it, the ultimate David Moyes was qualified for the Champions League and the discover it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> I mean, that, that was like, you know, the ultimate Moisey. Um, and I mean, it's a magical season for West Ham fans probably helped by the fact, aided by the fact they're not in their stadium. Yeah, um, we, Weirdly, that has probably helped West Ham an awful lot. I thought it was going to have the same effect on Everton. And eventually, at the start it did, but seemingly Everton have fallen into the same kind of habit as a lot of other clubs and just not able to play at home. But just on Liverpool, um, because obviously we're on, we're on a, a Liverpool... Why have you got that there. smug look? Why are you smirking as you're uh, about to say this? Well, first of all, <laughs> 
I'm very, uh, I'm honored to be on uh, um, the uh, LFC Day Trippers. I honestly, uh, as uh, someone who's tuned in before, Jamie, and I never thought you'd uh, you'd have an Everton uh, fan amongst <laughs> you. And I, I swear I didn't plan it this way. I, I swear. But as I sat down here this evening, I was like, what am I wearing? Oh, where, where did that you... come from? Where <laughs> did that you... come from? I didn't plan it that way, I swear. Wow. But, the uh, first Everton shares on the LFC day trip as well played, mate. I'll tip this me is like here. a Zoom bomb where somebody keeps dropping. He, he put it away quick enough, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Could I just say in Liverpool, though, um, as an Everton fan, and since you've been living uh, rent-free in my head for however long, um, I do think for Liverpool this season, like where do you go from Champions League winners to um, you know Premier League winners? Like this season was always going to be a downer for Liverpool, unless it was probably the two of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. If it was just Premier League or just Champions League, it would have felt like obviously amazing, but it wouldn't felt like maybe like progress. So I think this was always going to be a tough season for Liverpool. It has been very very tough for them. And um, it's just going to be interesting to see what happens to Klopp because uh, he he looks to be in a bit of a funk. And that's that's why Liverpool are in a funk. I think it leads me nicely to the next question. And I think Klopp, more so than, than anyone, has probably suffered from uh, the, the lack of emotion in the stadium. Do you think it's too easy, Sean, to, to put no. this kind of disconnect down to the fact that there's just not fans in there? Is it is it too simplistic to say once they come back, the feelings and the emotion and that excitement builds again. Look, it is one of the factors. Like you, you can put it down to so many different things, but it definitely is one of the factors. Now, it's talked about how the Anfield atmosphere is a myth and this, that, and the other. But this season proved that's that's just not the truth. And the thing is with Jurgen Klopp is he's an emotional bloke, and that's why that's what makes him so endearing to Liverpool fans. Is that. You feel like he feels the same as your regular everyday fan. He's on the edge. He's emotional. When he's good, he's good. But when he, when it's not going well for him, it's, re, it's very tough to watch Klopp because I think he can be super spiky. He can be snarky. He bites. Like you've seen him with Des Kelly earlier on in the season. He can't bite at these reporters. And that's, that's the other side of the coin. So that's what happens when you have someone emotional like Klopp in charge. He is emotionally charged. And if the fans aren't there to bounce off them, you can see he kind of lacks a little bit. You can see that Klopp himself hates football in this form. You can, it seems like a chore, the pre-match, the post-match. He just wants to get in and get out. I know he doesn't feel like it's the same. Even the couple of games where we did have the fans, you could see players like Bobby bouncing around the pitch. You could see Klopp as well. They were feeding off it, you know what I mean? And Klopp's one of these people who feeds off the crowds. He's up at LVC, he's geeing up, um, he's geeing up the crowd. And look, you have to look at, take us out of the equation, look at Leeds. Look, I feel terrible for Leeds. Like, although they're safe and they'll be there again next year, the first time back in the big time for 16 years and Ellen Road is empty every week. Imagine the atmosphere that would have been around there. The Liverpool would as well. be richer for the, for a full for absolutely. Villa Villa Park is another ground that I've loved. I've actually been lucky enough to be be at Villa Park for away games, Liverpool away games, and uh, the atmosphere is unbelievable. It's one of those grounds that still feels like an old football ground. The atmosphere is bouncing. The Villa fans. It's one of them things, and you'd you'd miss that. You, like you completely miss that. If I seem to remember the first game back after. Project restart was Villa Sheffield United. If I'm 
Yeah, the behind the goal line technology didn't work for the first yeah, time ever. The, the time that the gobshites never bother turning on the technology, never mind <laughs> using it. So it, it feels soulless. It, it really did. I mean, you seen us winning the league and lifting it last year, Jamie. It was great for us, but it, it's it's a bit crap. The players never got the moment. We seen when we won the Champions League, the parade, the parade around Liverpool when the boys returned. Unbelievable scenes. When you get a ticket for not wearing your seatbelt, it comes from the police. And from your mother. And your best friend. And your family. We want you to buckle up every trip, every time. Three out of four people ejected from a vehicle in a crash will die. If you won't do it for yourself, do it for us. We like having you around. Click it or ticket. A message from the Michigan Office of Highway Safety Planning. We always thought, Jesus, imagine we win the league, it's going to be mental. And the players never got that. They they never got to have that experience with the fans. They never got to share that moment with the fans. And they won't get it next year because I can't see us parading the 2019-2020 title around Anfield when the season's just being passed and after what's going to happen, it's not going to fly. So the timing has been horrible. Um, it really has, but... Uh, it's been a kick in the teeth this season, one after another. Uh, and I just can't wait to see the back end of it now. Uh, and I've seen what happened tonight. Like, Jesus Christ, Chelsea City in the in the Champions League final. I think I'd rather watch me dag it out of bat. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lovely uh, image to give me there, mate. I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> uh, Colin, I'll come to you because it, it's more on the, the actual, the, I suppose, the the spectacle that there is a, a football match at the moment. And like Shawnee says, you know, it's not uh, it's not the most gripping. Do you think that the games have in a way become kind of glorified friendlies at this stage? Because I find myself, it all seems very safe. Um, you know, there, there doesn't seem a lot of energy. Uh, I think we've spoke about on this podcast before that Manchester City have kind of um, have nailed COVID football in that they just keep possession, they keep possession, they keep possession. Uh, I think it's well known now that the pressing stats, I think, across uh, across Europe have been have been down now uh, since COVID football has been a thing. Do you think it is a case of we are ultimately watching training games now, and maybe that's why we're we're, we're not getting as excited? There, there's definitely an element of that. Like Paddy mentioned, uh, West Ham doing better without the crowd. I think Villa are definitely the same. Like you know, Villa Park is amazing. The, the crowd is amazing, but could just as easily turn you know, on the team. And I think over the years, especially the last five, six years, it's been a hindrance to the players because the players haven't been good enough. And when they're under pressure at a club with a big expectation, then they start freaking out, you know. So it's it's not the same at the minute. Now, Villa have a better team, but it, it was just watching today. Sorry, Paddy, I was watching highlights of the, but it's, you know, one of those pitch side highlights. And I was loving those at the start, you know, because you can hear the boys, like you can hear what they're saying in the huddles after the score and you can just hear the, the raw emotion and from the sidelines, you can hear what they're shouting. But but now it, it, it does feel a bit more flat. It feels a bit, fake's the wrong word. Maybe training ground is, is the right the right way to put it. I think some teams are benefiting from it, definitely, because, again, I keep coming back to Villa, but like they're a team who like to control the pace of the game. Like they're actually not that fast. They're good at counter-attacking but it's because they can control the pace of it. And when they have the ball, they like to slow things down when Grealish is playing so they can get him on the ball and start again from that. But when you have a big crowd that are demanding you to to rise it up, then yeah, that, that changes how some people act. Like when you have a ball coming in over the top and all you can hear is 40,000 people around you, 
that changes your decision making. It's 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 not the same. Like it's and I think people are more likely to take risks. Like you see that that um Bertrand Sorori won the other day, Patty, when <laughs> I keep bringing it back to this game. But who was it? Alan that came running over, like a mug and fell flat in his face, and Sorori just mm-hmm. caught inside. It's like maybe he would do that normally, but you're just seeing a lot of this sort of carefree stuff that you would only associate with the with the very best normally. Like, you know, these footballers are obviously at a great level, but now they're suddenly pulling out stuff that you know, only like the like of Ronaldinho and people in that bracket would have the balls to try, you know, and, and pull it off quite regularly. So you are seeing that. Like, I think there was a stat at the start of the year where Villa were the only team who had the the pressing stats were up. Like everybody else had dropped off. And maybe that was uh, part of the reason why Villa were going well. Um, but yeah, I, I don't like Senate, but I think you're I think you're right. And I have been just sort of like, it's it's almost like porn now, just watching old goals of of the real sounds. Like I think, I think <laughs> I'm telling you, there's nothing else going on, lads. <laughs> Jimmy, you shared that one with Suarez hitting the post. And oh like, yeah, the greatest goal that, that never was. Yeah, but everything about that, like you know, the the anticipation that what the fuck, like you know, from forty thousand people at once. The crack of the post and everything. I had another. I had another one the other day as well. It was actually uh, that came up on my feed randomly. Matt Letizia's top ten goals in the Premier League, and like yeah. you, I sat back and was like, "Wow!" It felt like I was watching something else. It was a different game. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It just seems like we're in a in a different time at the moment. And I suppose one thing, Paddy, that I'll, I'll come to you on, and sorry to drop this one on you. Um, one thing that didn't exist when we're watching Luis Suarez smash the post from 35 yards on a volley or Matt Letizia score wonder goals every other week was VAR. And this is something that hasn't gone away. Um, you know, I think it's caused a lot of issues. My main issue is that I think it's looking to fix things that weren't necessarily broken. But for me, the biggest thing, like I'm like Shawnee, I'm an emotional guy. Like football can dictate my mood to the point that, I actually get told off in my own house because I need to pull myself together. Uh, but I, I think that's what football should be. It's an emotive game. It brings people together, a common goal. Without emotion for me, football is basically, it's it's soulless. It's not the game that, that we fell in love with. And I think from a VAR perspective, it's not going to go away. I think so. I think Kevo Sullivan just said in the, in the comments, VAR isn't going away. Paddy, how much of a detrimental effect do you think that this has had on the game um, and, and ultimately disconnected so many fans who are ultimately talking more about decisions than the actual game? I'm fine with VAR. I think it's I think it's fine. I think in time it will work itself out. Um, I think it's the same with any new technology or new innovation. It's going to take time. Like, I don't get worked up by VAR because I think it's a distraction from the real issues in the game. Like it's uh you know, Hold on. Let, let's be, let's be honest, Paddy, right? You're not, you're going to be pro VAR because Jordan Henderson had a last minute winner disallowed at Goodison <laughs> Park earlier on in the season. <laughs> yeah. But Jimmy, it's like, it's like anything. Yeah. Fair enough. Like obviously for that, for that moment, um, um I mean, that was grossly unfair as well. But it was, it evens itself. It's like the the old way, except every decision is now, okay, I'm going to say 99.5% of the decisions are right. And before it wasn't that. And now you mightn't like the decisions, but they're the right decisions. Like a centimeter offside is the centimeter offside. And that's that's how it's been decided. What I think VR has done, it's like, um, if you ever if you watch Sky and you have standard definition Sky on 401 or whatever, I'm on Virgin. And then if you switch to 438 on HD, 
Sky Sky Sports News, you suddenly realise, Jesus, these these presenters aren't aren't as young as I I thought they were because every single wrinkle is there, every single line, and what VAR has done is it has shown up how inadequate a lot of the rules are. Offside rule is is rubbish. It's not it does it doesn't fit anymore. The game is yeah. too quick for what it is. The handball rule is a, is a farce. So what VR Which has one? done... <laughs> Which exactly. one, Bobby? We've had three <laughs> I mean, this season. Look, at the, the, but what it has done is put a microscope on these issues. Look, at offside's always been, since the beginning of the game, uh, since, uh, you know, association football began, offside is, it's the beautiful rule because it, it when it works, it's amazing. It differentiates football from so many other sports. It's impossible to explain to someone that doesn't know the game and you're trying to, for the, I mean, that's often parried. But when it works, it works really well. And, and it's obviously like, it's the, it's kind of the secret sauce for football. But right now it's not working because it's stupid when you see those lines and you think, hang on, benefit the doubt is supposed to be with the attacking player. And right now it isn't. So yeah. my thing is, VR is a distraction. It's cake and circuses. It's, you know, it's the perpetual war between Oceania and Eurasia, if you're George Orwell fan. But, and what it distracts us from is the stuff that's important, like uh, the ownership of the, the biggest clubs in the game that we love. That is the thing that is the burning issue in the game. VAR will be sorted out two seasons. I don't even think we're going to be talking about it because they'll have figured out the rules. They'll be applying it way better. And remember, my final point in VAR is, what was the thing that we all, we would all were, were all worried about with VAR before it came in? It was the time it was going to take for the decisions to be made. It was going to slow down the game. And let's be honest, that's not the thing that people are complaining about. Now, if everything else was perfect, maybe they would. But I actually think it's quite slickly applied. I think it's been pacey. Um, It's nowhere near as uh, cumbersome as I thought it was going to be. So I think they've got a lot of that right. The rules are the problem and they will figure those out. I think for me, and and you touched on it a little bit there, Paddy, it is, you know, there's there's other distractions going on within the game. Uh, So it's been the Super League talk now um, has has been dominating. And I think I'm just a little sick, Shawnee, of not talking about football. You know, we've, we've all of a sudden had to become businessmen you know you log on to twitter and everybody understands the finer details of uh, club finances and venture capitalists um and you know we don't well, they think they do they yeah we don't no, we don't uh, you know nobody's really privy to this information yet everybody seems to be experts and game after game whether it's var and i don't necessarily agree with you paddy i have, I have to be honest I, th- I think it's been poorly applied from uh from an offside perspective I, I don't want to see toenails offside personally um I, I understand that's what it was brought in to do but fundamentally for me it is it has lessened the experience of a game um i would want to see more of an advantage given to attackers i think we want to see goals um i don't want to see brilliant uh team goals chalked off because someone's left Bollock is, you know, is is slightly over a line. So for me, I think it's poorly applied, and I think it takes away from ultimately celebrating. We watch football matches to celebrate big moments, and now we can't celebrate those big moments because we're waiting for it for somebody somewhere to tell us that that goal is is going to be cancelled. And Shawnee, from from your side, is it a is it a culmination of a lot of things? Because obviously we've we've touched on VAR and and it's uh, you know Paddy spoke about some of the things that he thinks are going well. I said some of the things I don't think are going well. Another issue that I, I kind of have with the game at the moment is lack of accountability for 
things that are happening within a game. And this comes down to referees who ultimately for me are making horrific decisions. I actually can't remember a season when the standard of refereeing, whether it's on pitch, off pitch, uh, whether it's the, the, the narrative that we're told after games to justify, uh, justify decisions, whether it's, Dermot Gallagher, um, who is is wheeled out to give his explanations, you know, the the day after a weekend of terrible decisions, it just all leaves a bit of a bitter taste in the mouth that A, refs are getting so much airtime, but also they're able to be poor at their job and not have to answer for it. Yeah, well, I think that's probably been an issue with officiating in England since the incession of the Premier League or even beforehand. There's no real accountability with referees. They never pulled up in front of cameras or anything asked to explain decisions. The reports get released now, and we've seen so many times this season where the rules have changed. Like you have, there was Oli Watkins offside. I can't remember who they were playing. I think it might have been West Ham at home. Patrick Bamford away from Palace. The offside. Yeah. He went by his arm. Oli Watkins literally gets pushed into an offside position after a lovely bit of centre forward play. He's offside. We have the one uh, Fulham and Tottenham where the, the Fulham player tries to clear the ball or the Tottenham player tries to clear the ball and it, he's literally point blank hits it off a Fulham player's hand. Fulham break and score. Goal disallowed. There's so many. The, the Villa offside, the offside against Villa at the Yeti had and they'd literally just changed the rules during the week. We just said, oh, do you know what? We got that wrong. Uh, well, it won't happen again. And that happened three or four times this year. There was zero accountability. And I'm with Paddy in a way that I actually don't think that VAR is the problem. I think the gobshites manning it is the problem. And I think we're always going to have that human error with VAR because I don't think these officials are up to it because I don't know whether there's any English lads reffing in the Champions League at the moment. Uh, I don't. I think Clattenburg was the last last one to get a call up from UEFA to do a major tournament, and he's he's been long gone. So the the standard of officiating in England is at an all time low, I'd say, um, and it's being highlighted now because the machinery is there to show when they're missing these calls and when they're getting them wrong. And um, some of them have just been mind boggling, and we need to realise that it is still very early in its inception. Uh, I do. I always expected there to be teething problems with the system, and I think with a little bit of tweaking, if we can change that offside rail to favour the attackers, we can have. We'd have no issue with that. I think Arsene Wenger has come up with a, a beautiful system for basically that. If any part of your body that you can score with is onside, then you're onside. So if you're leaning into an onside position, your shoulders offside, but your foot is onside, then you're onside. We need to give the emphasis to attack it that's what football has always been about. It's always been about attack, attack, attack. There is purists who like your Atletico Madrid's and stuff like that, but it's always it's all about goals. Like you said, you were talking about Suarez there earlier, Jamie. Imagine, for example, Suarez's goal against Newcastle where he gets on the end of a diag and takes the ball down on his shoulder, rounds the keeper and scores, and Anfield erupts. Imagine that happened now. You'd be thinking, oh, are they going to give a handball here? So, it's taken that element out of the game and it is the human element that is kind of gone. But at the end of the day, sport and integrity should take precedence over that because I do think that in big moments, people will celebrate. Because like you, and I know you did, I was screaming the gaff down when Henderson scored. 
That broke uh, my heart, that one. These days, we're all getting more screen time, which means we're also getting more blue light exposure than ever before. Too much blue light can make your eyes feel tired, dry, or blurry. It can also affect your sleep. Zenni's Blocks lenses help to protect the eyes by keeping harmful blue light out. Because they're virtually clear, add blocks to any Zenni frame for stylish, all-day protection. Get a complete pair of prescription or non-prescription blocks glasses starting at just $24. Protect your eyes now at zenni.com. Sorry, Paddy, it did. You sit there this yeah, yeah. and that broke me, that one. Yeah, every everyone has gone. Look, everyone has been on the end of these decisions, and like you look at last year, the, the one against Villa, the, the gold line technology, like they that didn't even, they didn't even, <laughs> yeah, but they didn't even bother turning her on. So you turned it on for the second half, Shawnee. I don't know what your problem. Yeah. <laughs> so like until this, until we have competent people in both Stockley Park. Well, I think they need to change it. I think, I think. We can't have Michael Oliver's mate in a van in Stockley Park looking out for his best interests. Uh, there needs to be an independent board man in VAR who was completely away from the PGMOL. And you need to throw ex-players or something under that who understand the nuances of the game and how football flows because it's being taken away from us. Like That sort of thing is being taken away from us with the likes of VAR. But it's a necessary evil. Yeah. It is a necessary evil. It's something that we do need going forward, and we can only hope that it will improve over time. You, you would celebrate, Jamie. You would celebrate if you could trust that the referees would get it right. Yeah. You know, like we all, we all, know, yeah, we all know the rules. Like you know, so you know, like the Mason Mount one tonight. You know, you know, there's not going to be any problem with that. Like you know, that that's a goal. There's no issue. There's not going to be an offside call. If you could rely on a referee to do the exact same thing. Like, do you remember that one of the Australian referee that, that went viral there again a few weeks yeah, ago? Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah. And he was talking. Yeah. Yeah. Was like, he was yeah. mic'd up. You could hear everything he was doing. You could hear all the decisions he was making and why he was making them. He was he was explaining to the players why he was going over to look at VAR. He was telling them, I'm not 100% here, but here's what I think. I'm going to do this. And everybody was happy with it. I but thought... You can't do that here because of what happened to John Moss. That well, leak that came out after the Liverpool game, Liverpool but, and Spurs, like the 90th minute. Like John Moss is asking the line out, what's going on? What's the decision? And then he just goes, can we check her on the camera? And yeah. your man says, uh, no, you can't. And he goes, okay, well, I'm going to give a penalty anyway. And he just gave the penalty. But this is like, like Shawnee and the so mad we, thing. We, we, we'll for our house days, idiots, because that's but, what the artist English referees are. Shocking. But the mad thing is, this guy is here. He's in the championship. He's he's doing his time watching Lee fucking Mason parade around the Premier League. Well, he has to he has That's to learn fair. from these boys first. He's sitting in the championship doing games there, but he's not deemed fair. good enough to come in to the Premier League yet. And like we're talking about, like the 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 calls they get wrong. I yeah, I actually agree with Shawnee. I was naive to think that when technology finally came in. It would be some independent arbitrator, maybe a, a pile of judges that are there looking at the rules, like, hang on, you're not applying your own rules here. Like, we're going to step in. But it's not. It's it's their mates, like we say. And it's the same incompetent people who who are technically sort of underperforming. Like, there's never, there's never a, there's rarely a VAR discussion around the Champions League. And when we watch international football, all we think of is why is there no fucking VAR? Because like there's times when when we need it. So when it's applied right, it's good. But like these referees at the minute, they're technically bad. They're emotionally not up to it. I don't think. Well, a lot of them. And to be honest, most of them are, are overweight. It's it's ridiculous how many Premier League referees are out of shape. Like this is the top level of the game in the top sport in the world. 
You make an interesting point there about, um, you know, referees ultimately talking to players. Because I know when I played, look, I, I'd be in ref, ref's ears all the time. And they would turn around and go, look, this is why I gave it. I can't be 100% sure. I'm trying my best. This is what I'm fit. This is why I, why I made the decision. And automatically it diffuses the situation. So I yeah. find it as a fan now a lot easier to stomach if a fan comes, uh, if a referee comes out after the game and says, look, on the information that I was afforded at that moment in time, this is why I made the decision. It turns out that I wasn't privy to X, Y, Z, which maybe would have took me in a slightly different direction. But based on what I had at the time, this is why I gave it. Even the most hardened of fans would look at that and go, well, okay. I understand now, at least I understand. It's I think it's just this blank canvas of we're going to hide away and then we're going to come out with something in two days' time which contradicts something we were told six months ago and it's it's a, it's just a little bit of a mess. Now, Conor, I want to come to you and I want to stay for you for a very specific reason, right? So basically I'm using tonight's podcast as a bit of a therapy session just to get me all my old grumpy man uh, uh, viewpoints on the game out of my system. And the next one was touched on by... Graham Souness at the weekend where Sky were uh, basically had to fill time and it took them down a dodgy path and they started making some wild claims that they probably wouldn't have done if they'd have been on script. And one of the things that Graham Souness went uh, on a bit of a rant about is contact, buying contact. Um, and this is something that creates division amongst fan bases because A, the game's evolved and I understand that, but B, there's also kind of old school fans that look at players that would buy a foul or, you know, look at the the level of contact that is required in today's game to, to, to get a foul. And I want to come to you because you have probably the best player in your team at buying fouls, I would say, in Jack Grealish. Do you think the fact that any contact now seems to be a foul is putting some fans off? Because in my view, a good tackle can raise the emotions and and if we had fans in the stadium, get them on their feet better than in some cases a chance or even a goal. I must say you've triggered me, Jamie. It was the question. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I I knew as soon as I brought up Grealish, I could see it in your face. Do you think that I suppose the absence of contact in the game in today's game is is causing some fans to kind of lose a little bit of interest? It's definitely not as good a spectacle. And I think it's a real shame that Buying buying a foul has become like a, a dirty term. That used to be a good thing that a forward did. And I don't mean diving or accentuating contact. I mean actually roping some stupid defender into fouling you. Like that that's what buying a foul used to be. And that I would say it, but that's what Jack Reilly's does most of the time. Like he he knows when somebody's going to take a swipe at him and then he, he nicks past him. And yeah, a lot of the time he goes down easy as well. And the unfortunate thing is that that most players do go down easy and we often now just criticize him for for being naive enough to, to not go down easy. I I watched I watched Kyle Walker kick the ball past Neymar last night and saw Neymar dive. <laughs> I just thought, like this guy is supposed to be one of the like Neymar didn't have the ball and he dived. Like he just got roasted and went to the ground. And I thought he's like he's got all the tools to be the best player in the world. And I think sometimes he is. And the frustrating thing is that he's not, and we end up talking about things like that. And it's too easy then for everybody to say or for Solskjaer to say the game's gone. The game's absolutely gone. I think it doesn't help. And again, with the season that's in it, we all end up then just chatting about this stuff too often. I think it's not a nice thing. Um, and I think Grealish doesn't do it maybe as much as you suggest that he does. 
<laughs> Nicely done. I agree full, uh, wholeheartedly with Keith Plunkers. Football died the day that they outlawed the reducer. I always remember <laughs> exactly. the days. Like I, I literally <laughs> used to be able to cut people in half and I go really on, and he'd go, "All right, yeah, go on." The next one, though, the next one, the guys decapitated on the floor, like it was ridiculous. Uh, Paddy, another thing that um, I suppose is something that we've had to get used to, I suppose, as modern fans, but also as players uh, in the spotlight is social media uh, and social media in terms of the extremes that we now see with football debate. Uh, you know, social media is listed, I would say, with camps. So I like this player. We hate this player. He's the world's best. He's the world's worst. Same with managers, same with owners. Uh, you know, there's littered with agendas. Um, some of the best things about football, in my view, is debating it with your friends, having prop arguments, having a pint, having a disagreement, talking about whether it's tactics, skills, anything that you've seen during the game, that seems a little bit obsolete now in that the only way that we're able to to debate at this moment in time seems to be through social media. And the art of debate now has, has become completely lost on social media because it's usually met with some type of abuse. Do you think that social media is having a negative effect in how we view and interact around the games these days? You mute, mute it again, mate. Classic Everton fan. Look at this guy. <laughs> Just ensuring that you don't hear my <coughs> uh, throat clearing, etc. I uh, know. Look, at, I think social media, Jamie, has uh, negatively impacted on pretty much every aspect of our lives from top to bottom. So football is just another part of that. Um, it's a bun fight. Like you talking about there, the debate you'd have amongst your friends. You can still have that debate in a WhatsApp group, and it's it's go crack. It's yeah. banter. Everybody's on the same page. Twitter is just lots of people shouting at each other. And most of them don't know who they are. It's like being in a pub at three in the morning uh, and everyone's just shouting over and back the room. It's like, it's a mess. It's like one flew out of the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> yeah. Like when you realize that Twitter is just a lot of people talking to themselves until someone answers them, that's exactly what it is. It's just putting, out, just putting their stuff out in the atmosphere waiting for someone to cling onto it. <laughs> and we need Nurse Ratchet to step in and put manners <laughs> on people, you know, because honestly, it's it's a mess. And it's funny what you were talking about earlier on when you were like, and it, and I think this is a classic example of how Twitter, and just say Twitter, all such, but t- specifically Twitter, skews how we watch and enjoy the game. And you were looking for therapy earlier on. Listen, this season will be over, and it will next season will be way better. Everything is going to be better. The fans are going to be back in the stadium. We're all going to enjoy it. Var, I know, seeded all of this nonsense was a pain in the ears. It will be better and it won't feel as bad. But the reality is that social media will be what it is and will never, will always be is what it is because we've created it and I don't know how you put the genie back in the bottle. So let's talk about European, European refereeing for a second. And I'm not taking it back to Var, but just you cannot tell me that there aren't fat. Out, um, out of shape, terrible referees in every league in the world. <laughs> I don't believe that English referee is any worse than Italian or German. And if you're telling me the Champions League is a better setup, I firmly believe that is because the Premier League creates a conversation around the league that is fueled by fans on Twitter that is not the same when it goes into Europe because Italian, German, Spanish fans like, just look at the protests against Super League. Where did it come from? And I mean, this was a positive thing. But where did the noise come from? 
Italian fans couldn't actually believe that English fans. See, the thing is with that, they were all like, you'd find there that Juve need the money. Inter Milan need the money. Barcelona need the money. Real Madrid need the money. So their fans were in the camp that, okay, we kind of need this. Whereas I think the English fans were kind of like, oh, no, 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 we're, we're not having this one bit. Those, like, those clubs are in genuine trouble. Like Inter Milan, they're at the winning the Scudetto. They're in massive financial trouble. Barcelona, Jesus, everyone knows about what's going on there. And apparently they're going to give Messi now some sort of 10-year contract. Some mad contract that's going to see him end up just one below, one below the president. So, like these lads need to find out. I, I think I, I get what you're saying. Uh, we probably feel like the officiating in England is especially shite because we have the microscope on it. We're watching it, like like the lad said there earlier on. Seven days a week at this stage, this Premier League is on. So. You're not just seeing shy refereeing decisions on the weekend. You're seeing them Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every day of the week. There's football on now, so it has been massively highlighted and under the microscope since Project Restart, so to speak. Um, anyone look, the referees are wanker is a common song <laughs> exactly. in every football ground in England. So it's just something that's gonna be said. You know what I mean? It wasn't made up with a lot of lashes for nothing. Did, Except did, the referee did, that didn't book Jimmy. He was a sound lad, but the lad that was uh, <laughs> <laughs> allowing you yeah. to chop fellas in two, you know? Uh, oh, th- those were the days. Honestly, yeah. thinking, thinking back to some of the tackles that I used to put in, like it does actually make me cringe thinking about it. It's not, and you're thinking of bobbly pitches, uh, you know, and, and you know the ball, as the pass has been slightly under hit, and you think, here's my chance. Here's, and you speed up your run to go into him. Yeah, it makes it makes me wince. Um, Conan, I, I want to come to you on... On uh, a little bit around the football finance piece, um, and then there's there's one more topic that I want to bring up before we then look at how do we fix it all, and does it even need fixing? Um, the talk of the the Super League, and it's been done to death, so I don't want to go into too much detail. But I think the thing that has alienated a lot of people is this idea of legacy fans, the idea of legacy fans, and the game potentially being taken away from. The dad and the lad, you know, the idea that, you know, it's, it's passed on to, uh, uh, to a son or a daughter and they go to the game with their parents and it's, it, you know, it's a, it's a game for, for those fans. When you look at the terms legacy fans and you talk about, you know, these, uh, billionaire American owners, do you think that that is in direct, direct conflict with what? the English Premier League is and what it means to support clubs in that they want to make them global clubs. They want to make them global fan bases where it's very difficult to retain that kind of, you know, core identity of a club whilst doing those things. They're billionaires. Like you know, most of them are going to be wankers. <laughs> that, that's the reality of it. And I don't even think a lot of it is about, growth because the growth is massive anyway that's why they had the audacity to take 12 clubs and say let's take over the world like the the growth is there like Laurentino Perez is talking about four billion football fans and somehow we're in need of a big revamp of football football needs saved when there's four billion people what because we don't have another four billion people like you're doing all right Perez I think (laughs) the nature of these guys uh, uh I don't think it's because yeah they're they're looking to expand and they're looking to get more people in and they're, and they're looking to have a legacy fan and then a potential fan or whatever they call it, a, a prospective client. 
I think it's just the nature of what they do with their businesses. Like they, <laughs> after a while, these big companies just stop trying to better themselves. And what they do is they just fuck everybody else over and they try and get rid of the competition because then that's how they succeed. And I think that's exactly what they were doing here. Let's us 12 go and we'll, like, you know, it doesn't matter what happens to these people. I don't want to sound like Gary Neville. They were going to start a famine. But from a purely business <laughs> point of view, a purely business point of view. It... Still paying hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Let's change that. At Zenni.com, our factory direct model means no middlemen or outrageous markups. Just the same quality frames and lens options as the other guys for one-tenth the price. Zenni offers prescription glasses starting at $6.95, as well as affordable sunglasses, blue blockers, and more. The best part? Try any frame, anywhere, with our 3D virtual try-on. Visit Zenni.com today and change the way you buy glasses forever. It's like, if we yeah. can get rid of the competition, if we can screw them over, put the competition out of out of business essentially we will do better and then we will no longer have to innovate ourselves and we will no longer have to turn the camera back on ourselves we'll just keep making easy money and we'll make more money because we've gotten everybody else out of it i think that's the only way they were looking at it and yeah they might have got some more growth in that because football might have only had 12 teams left by the end of it all but didn't your wife your wife are at the sneak and pretty much the exact same thing under our noses without the under so in 2024, these legacy clubs will find that legacy clubs are these, well, what the, the clubs with the European heritage will find it even harder to be outside the Champions League. So that further dilutes what they're trying to yeah. do. Although I think I think the Super League, with a little bit more planning and time taken to push, they would have got it done. I, now, I've no doubt in my mind that they would have got that done had it not been a close shop. Had it been more fleshed out, had they showed how they were going to help with the domestic side of things as well? Because let's be honest, UEFA are doing the exact same thing. UEFA have held a monopoly on European football for how long now? And they continue to do that. You look at what they pay out to the clubs that play in the Champions League compared to what they're torn over. So I think, in a way, Perez is right. I do think football is dying. I do think that future generations of football... You said four billion. That will dwindle. That will dwindle. Because I'm telling you now, my nephew likes football, but he doesn't support the team. He supports Kylian Mbappe. These kids support players now. These kids are watching 30 second clips on TikTok. It was Voyant, 15 seconds. Instagram, 15 seconds, 30 seconds. Football is not gripping the attention of kids for long enough anymore because the, the attention span is not there. They're not 90 minutes of football and it finishes nil-nil. You think about it, J- Jamie. When I was a kid in the summers, your mom would send you out at nine in the morning and you'd kick ball until, you, until the lights came on, until it was dark. Now kids have PlayStation, Xbox. It's gone beyond actually playing games because kids are now into watching people play games. So they don't even play them themselves. They're watching YouTube tutorials, this, that and the other. The future of the sport is in jeopardy. I do feel like it. I do feel like that future generations, maybe that the want won't be there. The same way it was for us. Like we had 2002 World Cup, Ireland for me. Captured my love for football. Robbie Keane's goal against uh, Germany. Damien Duff getting up early to watch us play Cameroon. Those things like that I'll take with me forever. The next World Cup, Ireland didn't even play. But I watched every single game of the 2006 World Cup. 
I was completely engrossed with it. Ronaldinho, Zidane, all these stars. Kids aren't as interested anymore. Um, yeah. We need to protect that. And I don't know that... I, I, I don't think a Super League was saving football whatsoever because I do think after a season or two, if you're watching Liverpool play leading Real Madrid, uh, here we go, it's fucking Liverpool, Real Madrid away again this week. That would stagnate fairly quick. But I do think they need to do something in terms yeah. of revamp the children's interest in football. Look look what England have done with George's Park. Uh, I think after Steve McLaren went in there, the FA had crisis talks and said, okay, we need to fucking do something here. And now look at the calibre of player England are producing to go to major tournaments now. Yeah, Jack Grealish's, yeah, Phil Foden's, these players who you love to watch. They make football look seamless. They're playing one-on-one football again. That was being coached out of the game. You all thought that these players were becoming methodical robots. And you look at a Jack Grealish and you look at a Phil Foden and it gives you hope that there still will be these players coming along because we're at the end of an era now, Messi and Ronaldo. And what's going to be next after this? Is it Mbappe and in Holland? I don't know. We need to start gripping people again with football because I do think it's losing its grip big time. But I think like children won't be children forever as well, though. Like you know, when I was back then, like I, I wasn't watching anywhere near as much football. I was watching what might have been on BBC or ITV because that's that's all I had access to. I I first heard of Agbon Lahore on Teletext, and I called him Agbon Lahore for two years because I didn't see any Villa games. Like where somebody could correct me. And hold on, it's not that. <laughs> yeah. and, and hopefully like Shawnee, like our generation isn't going to die off tomorrow like you know we still got another good 50 60 years of, of putting our god love us money and time into into the game and i, th- I think like the, the short attention span thing I, like i think everybody has that like i have that on i don't have a short attention span but when i'm on twitter i do but I'm not yeah. watching football on Twitter. Do you know what I mean? It's, like, as well, I'm in WhatsApp groups and when the game is on and there's 60 messages a minute and I'm like, you can't be possibly watching the match because the, the time you spend texting in the chat and looking at the screen, you can't be doing both things at once. So you're, not, you're never fully there. That's why I always find a man when you watch back these games, you go, Jesus Christ, did that happen? The stuff <laughs> you miss by looking at your phone. So like these are issues like... We're engrossed in so much other things that's not important that football is now just background noise to a lot of people. Paddy, where do you sit on it all? I I think that the interesting angle there, Shawnee, and I think it's really, I've taught this myself, that the brands, the players' brands are so powerful now that they are overwhelming the club brands you know um if you look at look at you talked about hamids and like i've gone like what 52 and a half minutes really without talking about <laughs> hamids rodriguez but like look at what everton bought there they bought okay an aging superstar but they bought yeah. a guy with 140 million followers on instagram and like it was just a very savvy commercial move because hamids rodriguez is more powerful than 98 percent of the clubs in in europe uh, in terms of their social, okay, 90% of the clubs in Europe in terms of their social so why, following. So why are you saying that James Rodriguez is actually bigger than Everton? Is that why you're saying? <laughs> well, in terms of his social following, he is. I mean, that's indisputable. Yeah, yeah. He, he has more followers. In terms of, you know, I mean, he's one person. And also, like anything else, um, you know, players burn out. Like Conor McGregor blows up on Twitter and Instagram. He wants to own the UFC. And then he, and then he fades away. 
Yeah. And I mean, he's on, he's that's where he's going, right? So, like, similarly, James Rodriguez is on the way now. He won't lose those followers, but Everson will be there after James Rodriguez. Yeah. George Best was the first pin up football star, he was bigger than Man United probably for a while. And at the time, it probably felt like it was a bit wrong, you know, it was, it probably seemed like this is, and also his, his flash lifestyle. I think that you're always going to have player brands that are just there. It's why we love the game. It's why we're drawn to the game. We want to see the Mbappes and we want like Phil Foden is, oh, she's watching him. You're like, man, I, I'm really looking forward to watching England at the Euros now because Phil Foden is going to be playing. So I don't know. I, I thought Perez threw out that number about eight and 24 year olds. Fair enough. If it's a representative, um, of what that uh, what that age group is is going through, but I think football it's a global game. The lads, I I live here in Terranure. My son plays for the Rangers. I know Jamie's son plays for is a cabin tealy or whatever. Yeah. Like nothing's going to take take him away from that. My daughter's going to join them next week. You know, like that's the they're like you know that's the that's football. You know, that's the grassroots and 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 kids playing the game, and that's that's a that's the magic of it. And when you talk about the billionaires, they feel like so far away to me. I don't know them. I don't know anything yeah. about them. I think John W. Henry and Avram Glazer are in the same camp to bring it back to Liverpool. And I, I'd love to ask you two boys when I have you here now, <laughs> why aren't Liverpool fans protesting in the same way about the fact that their club is owned by speculators who will do exactly what the Grants have done, uh, the Glazers, I should say, have done to will. Manchester United. Well, why, why wouldn't they? I need to go offline here. No, but <laughs> no, it, it, it's it's really simple That's actually because they bought United on a debt. And that's it's a serviceable debt that's still ground day by day. Now, don't get me wrong, they have they have invested within that sort. So they've given the every coach at United has gotten a big wedge to spend. I think the I read today they've spent one point two billion since Ferguson packed it in. And that's fair enough. But look at how far we were behind Manchester United. Not on the pitch, off the pitch when FSG came in. We were miles behind. We got left in the dust in the 90s. And they come in. They seen an opportunity. Yeah, they did. They, they bought us for a penny off uh, the other crowd who nearly ran us into the ground. But if you look at Liverpool now, look at the stadium, look at the surrounding areas, look at the infrastructure in terms of recruitment, Michael Edwards, the, the, the other people that they brought in inside the clubs to make football decisions, the training ground, they have invested in the longevity of Liverpool. Whereas the Glazers have done nothing for Manchester United in terms of off the pitch. They haven't really grown them commercially. They've put Woodward in there to run the whole ship when he's not really capable. Whereas FSG haven't done that. They they got Michael Edwards. They knew he was a football decision maker. They got Jurgen Klopp. They got the best manager he possibly could. Everyone bought in. And they've brought us up to this level. Make no doubt about it. They tried to sell us down the river with the Super League. And that's, it's not okay, but it's billionaire capitalists doing what billionaire capitalists will do. But if FSG were to up sticks and fuck off tomorrow, you'd have to turn around and say, well, what's the legacy? Look at Anfield and the surrounding areas. The difference, Jamie will tell you, is unbelievable what they've done around that ground. Like, it's completely immeasurable because you used to roll up to win the Anfield road end and the there'd be a 20, 
but 25 foot barbed wire red brick wall just right there at you when you're going in all the houses around the area were dilapidated they were run down it's no longer the case they've done so much for that surrounding area and then they they, they gave us the new training ground so they will have a lasting effect they have if they, if they left tomorrow what they've done commercially and with the training they mean we're sustainable what's going on with United is not sustainable Old Trafford is basically falling down They've done little or nothing for that side. They're still at Carrington, which I think they left the cliff in the early 90s and they're still there. So that's the difference. FSG, and yes, they're both American and they're both billionaires, but I don't think they could be four or meet each other on the spectrum of what exactly what the, the Glazers are doing to Manchester United. I don't think it will ever get to that stage with the FSG. I think they will have well sold us before they even tried to do something like that. I, I have to agree. I, I I I think it's difficult to compare the two for, for all of the reasons that Shawnee just listed. And I think for me, what I would say is they have a very clear way of working and they've stuck that to that pretty much to, to a T, um, you know, th- throughout their whole tenure. What I would say is they've made quite a few mistakes um, they've always been quick to try to rectify them. I think for some fans, and I, I'll include myself, look, I'll be brutally honest, I, I think FSG on the whole have been very good owners. Um, I think they've done a, a really good job in a lot of ways in, in putting Liverpool back at the big table again. And we are, we're back at the big table. We're, comp- we're, we're, now, a, we're now a destination. Uh, we're not a stepping stone for the big players. And that wasn't always the case for Liverpool. And I think in, in big part down to FSG. What I would say is I think that they have damaged a lot of goodwill with fans, with the Super League um, conversations and how it was done. I, I have to say, you would be a fool as an owner not to entertain those conversations because you don't want to be left behind. You don't want to be the, the one club that doesn't get involved in that. But the how, how that was communicated to A, the manager, the players, the, the fan base, how there was no type of sense check done to get a get a pulse of kind of how the players, the manager and the fans felt, I, I think is really poor. And then for me personally, I just can't get my head around not uh, backing Klopp more in January. I mean, for me, I, they're, they're two things that I find particularly difficult to, to swallow, if I'm being honest. Go on, Paddy, you want to jump in? I was just going to reply to that and just say, to I, I accept what Shawnee's saying, the difference there between the Glazers and John W. Henry in terms of the leverage buyout model that the Glazers would have employed and an asset they bought for essentially 300 million worth 3 billion. And it's a, it's a sweat, a sweated asset. And I accept that it is different for Liverpool. But the bottom line is what Jamie outlined there is what's going to ha- You said it yourself, Shawnee, it's going to come again. And you boys have as much control. And I mean, people will say, well, Mishiri's the same at Everton. He is. This is the problem for all clubs in England who've sold up and, and sold out. And that, and I know that was part of the progress and, you know, the money helped to, to get things done, like improve the stadium and that. But that's just good investment from yeah. solid, solid capitalists who have a, an asset that they can sell that's worth exactly. more than it was when they, when they bought it. But ultimately, the danger, are you not? And I bring it back to the concern. You know, I think United Liverpool is no different. Ultimately, if you don't have a fifty plus one model, which no team in in England in the Premier League has, then the Never fans will have. And Not I know that you, no, yeah, you can't. You're right, Johnny. Yeah, the you can't put the, the, the you can't put the genie now. can't put the genie no. back in the bottle. But ultimately, my concern is, I suppose, where does it end? And we're going to find it out 
one way or another. But my, the nightmare scenario is a situation where the fans are so disenfranchised that the global capitalists will say, well, it doesn't matter where the fans come from. You can fly them in from anywhere. And they'll fill Anfield and they'll fill yeah. Old Trafford. And, but they won't be Liverpoolians. They won't be Manx. You know, I mean, that's not the heart and soul of the clubs. And I mean, that might be a little bit worse, worst case scenario. But I don't know how, you know, like the, the scorpion on the back of the frog, you know, when he uh, stings the frog and they both die and the frog says, well, why did you do that? And he goes, in my nature. It's capitalists. They're going to they're going to do everything that they can do to make more money. And ultimately, the heart and soul of your clubs, our clubs, it doesn't mean anything. But I suppose then, like, no, what, what would be the end game of Liverpool fans protesting? Is it just you know, we want a different billionaire to come in and do the same thing? Exactly. Like that's that's we're at the stage now where the club is valued at so much money that it's picked up poison. And as far as I'm concerned. It's better the devil you know in these situations. And well, Villa Villa are fairly flush as well. I'm led to believe like that they have good ownership and there's a lot of money there and Mousherdy has ploughed in a lot of cash to everything. But we shouldn't talk about these things like that negative because it's completely it's necessary now. And if people think this fifty plus one will last in England, well I'll tell you what. You give your club a chance to operate at fifty plus one solely in the Premier League and see competitive for because you'd be left in the dust because when you have the the the, the Sheik over Man City you have uh, Abramovich in at Chelsea you're, you're never going to compete that there's not enough fans in the like how much would it cost to get 50 plus one Manchester United now much would the Glazers want for half of the club 2.5 billion where are you going to get that from Look, they're talking about this fella trying to buy Arsenal. They're saying if you want to buy Arsenal, you'll have to have a net worth of about 15 billion because after you buy them, you have to fund them. Like these things, like that's what people don't understand. There's not some line of billionaires lining up to come in and buy these clubs off people. That's why the likes of Newcastle are a brilliant proposition for someone like that because they can come in and buy them for door cheap, a huge stadium up north, a very, very staunch fan base, and they know that they will be held and adored like Manchester City hauled up their owners if they can bring success to Newcastle. Because 10, 15 years... 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico's. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money. Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Here's ago, City were in, they were in the middle of nowhere. They were in purgatory. Football, football, just lying there. And these lads had to come in and pump and cash into them. And that's what's happening. And everything will eventually get a right. They will avoid, get the, the right. Ancelotti's a great coach, but they'll get the right technical football director. And then this, the transfers will come and eventually they'll crawl up the table. This is what football is all about. John Barnes hit the nail on the head. It's not time for business owners to understand how football works. It's time for football fans to understand how business works. <clears throat> football is no longer the man's socialist game anymore. It's gone. The Premier League sold its soul and it's trying to get it back. And like, like Paddy said, there's no chance of getting the genie back in the bottle now. 
Yeah, but at least it's it should be that the fans do make themselves heard. And I think the United protests at the weekend were really important for that reason. And they were dead right to, to do what they did. Every part of it was important. I think it's good for the fans to be represented, even if, Shawnee, it doesn't, even if it's it's not Token going to gesture. achieve. It's better than sitting on your hands and waiting for the waiting for the the end or whatever whatever is to come and and one other thing I would say Jamie uh, and you you alluded to it FSG FSG Jurgen Klopp that is absolutely that's absolutely FSG it doesn't matter what they did or didn't do if they didn't hire Jurgen Klopp we wouldn't be talking about um, a, a Liverpool Premier League and and a Liverpool Champions League I don't I really don't believe it would have happened. I, no, I, I agree. I agree. Um, Conan, I, I want to ask you one question before we go around the room, just to see you know what what we think needs to change in in football to 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 bring the fans back or, or get people more engaged. Quick question, Conan. Based on everything that we've just said about owners, what makes the ideal owner? Because I've heard a lot of people say that you know. FSG out this, FSG out that. And I've I've sat here and I've told you that I have some issues with things that have happened from the ownership over the course of the last six to twelve months. And it's and it has bothered me as a Liverpool fan. But at the same time, I can't sit here now and tell you who I want to come in instead of FSG because on the whole they've done a pretty solid job, <laughs> you know, to 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 say it lightly. So what does make the perfect owner? Is it just going and buying all the best players and, and spending loads of money? Is that ultimately what fans want or is it more than that? Well, that's exactly it. It depends what you want. It depends in context as well. Like, um, Sean is talking about Newcastle. It's a great example. Like, um, the billionaire owners of Villa got them for dirt cheap because they were in the championship and they were about to go bust. You know? So they've uh, they come and saved them and their idea is to get Villa. I'm, like, I'm sure they're not there for any other reason and they make profit. But along the way, Villa could get to the Champions League. So I'm like, well, this is exactly. great. Like their their idea of making profit is they make Villa the Champions League club. And that that's easier for a Villa fan to swallow because you're coming from the championship. So it's like this is going to be a hell of a ride, but it's it's trickier with United and Liverpool. And again, it, it depends what you want. Like I, I don't know what the utopian world is, but from a purely football point of view, your ideal owner. Like I, I know I understand your frustrations of SFs. FSG exactly like you know like going into the Super League and the trying to rebrand and all the things we could go through again. The like of Abramovich who's just bored with his life and thinks you know this 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 would be a bit of crack like you know I'll buy a football club like you know but how many of those guys are lying around who aren't buying a club just to make profit? Most of them are billionaires who give us their money. Abramovich is just got so much money that he's just deciding to throw it around. But then you have to come back to questions. How's he made his money? Man City are obviously the the biggest extreme of that. I was having an argument with a Man City fan the other day. Honestly, I, I wouldn't even reveal his name because he ended up defending the human rights abuses in Abu Dhabi because of the work that Man City had done around That's, the area as well. Yeah, he probably built a few nice houses around West Manchester or something yeah. like that. So he's That's, like, That's tribalism. Uh, well, exactly. was that, that was and probably on Twitter, was it? No, it was actually on a WhatsApp. I know this person personally. Like, oh, Jesus. Oh, I've got the rest of my life now. To <laughs> you try mean, you mean to tell me you didn't have a blade and Sergio Aguero fucking profile picture on some stupid <laughs> name like that? Because that's normally what someone like them would say. No, this is a real life person. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I have a Twitter troll on my WhatsApp. And um, like, <laughs> how, how did you get in here? <laughs> <laughs> but like, why can't you just Why can't you just separate it and say... What's happened in Abu Dhabi is a disgrace, and the reason they've taken over Man City is to make people like me think that it's not a disgrace. 
but I'm really happy that we have eight 50 million centre-backs. <laughs> like, you know, why can't you just separate that? So it really just depends on what a football fan wants. And like, it, maybe it is depressing, like, you know, because I, I don't know how to how to solve all this. But ideally, your, <laughs> your archetype billionaire, the billionaire you want is somebody who's not a country full of human rights abuses. So, lads, to wrap up the show, I want a couple of words from each year on what do we fundamentally need to do to to change the game, if you feel that is the case. Um, and if so, what would you do? And I'll come to you first, Shawnee. Jamie, if I could give you an answer to this, I wouldn't be sitting in a bleeding apartment in, in South Dublin. That's the truth, because <laughs> there's people who are far more ingrained, educated and in, You'd think so, mate, but these people in, have been making no, a, a, involved, a bad... In, involved in the game, and they're all clamouring for answers, and they don't have them. I don't know. Uh, the phrase of the night is genie back in the bottle, and I don't know whether we can get... I don't think... We all love to think of a world where we can grab control of the game and fans have a real say in the game, and all. It, it's all token. It's all tokenisms putting them on these board meetings where they won't have any sort of vote or any golden vote. It's all a load of bollocks. I think it's coming down the road. There is a Super League on the way. We saw Project Big Picture touted at the start. That will happen as well. The big clubs will get the power in the Premier League. That's what will happen. Am I saying that's right? Absolutely not. It will happen because what's happening in football is these salaries are going up. The players' salaries are going up. And the bubble is about to burst on broadcasting because BT are out of game now. BT are flogging, flogging their product, trying to get money in, and it's fucked. They went too far with it. They, they just, it's not sustainable. This model was never sustainable. And clubs who are getting 180 million a year from BT Sky, that's not going to happen anymore. So there needs to be a restructuring from that side of the game. I think the Premier League need to get that finger out and get some sort of. Netflix sort of style thing going where you can subscribe to your team and watch those 28 games home and away a season or if you want to get a Premier League pass and watch all the games you can do that because I am not sure how this can be fixed I don't, I don't know how we're going to take eyes away from other things like other sports are grown football is diminishing is the money going to last? Is it sustainable? What Paddy said is right. What's going to happen when all these lads, because the boys in that toys when they get fed up with them, what's going to happen? Abramovich goes, yeah, I'm done with Chelsea. Pulls the plug. It's only going to go on for so long. The bubble will burst. So, I, I'm fairly... I'm fairly negative when it comes to the future of football. I don't think. <laughs> so, I so don't. At this point, I'm coming to Paddy because hopefully he's he's not yeah. going to be he's not going to be negative because I'm like you, Shawnee. I I genuinely do. I fear because fear I love the game. Jamie, I love football. I love. I'd watch anything. I've found myself watching an awful lot more of the League of Ireland this year, and I really enjoyed it because it's just football in its purest. Like now, show VAR. There might be a. The standard is not the best, but it's football. You know, it, it's football that you'd watch down the park, like you'd usually play with your mates, stuff like that. Obviously, at a higher level, I, I, I don't know. When, when you see we got handballed, this country got handballed by dickheads in charge. Like we all know what happened with the FAI. We're literally at the bottom 
now and we have to start again. And I don't know how we're going there. I don't see where the game goes from here. I, I probably should just pick up bleeding polo or something, something more relaxing. I'm still going to watch fucking binge watching series of bleeding Great British Bake Off or something because this is just grim. <laughs> <laughs> so Paddy I need you as the guy at the start of the podcast that said you didn't think that there was that much wrong with football because I'm very much in Shawnee's camp I worry about the way that the game is going I think Shawnee's onto something with the League of Ireland I've said it said it myself there were some fantastic semi-pro clubs back in, in, in England and there was a sense of community you could go and have some pints and some food and uh, watch proper football uh, emotion then go in the bar afterwards and have a pint with the players brilliant I can see more fans gravitating towards yeah. that connection. Do you think that football is at risk? And please tell me that it's either A, not, or B, you have a solution to fix it. <laughs> well, as I I was lining up solutions in my head, and as as Shawnee, every point that Shawnee made, he just shot them down. I was like, well, maybe a fan on the board. And Shawnee's like, that's just going to be a token position, waste of time. I was like, yeah, he's probably right. Chelsea are doing that, and there's no way they're doing that if they think yeah. there's going to be any threat to uh, Abramovich's uh, complete and utter sort of dictatorship. But look at what I would say is that everything we've talked about this evening. Uh, makes me yearn for the uncomplicated drudgery of International Week. So I think we need more International Weeks. Fucking we need hell, more dude. friendlies against Oman. <laughs> Mute your mic again. I will say this, though. I'm looking forward to the Euros, even though Ireland aren't there. Maybe because Ireland aren't there, uh, much like the World Cup in 18, I think we're going to see some fantastic footballers. And it is going to be less complicated in a way than club football is because club football has gotten really, really muddled. And whilst we have often in the past slagged international football and thought, oh, fucking hell, it's international week. And then Ireland piss all over it as well. But there is something about international football that for me anyway is less complicated. I watched a young lad there score an absolute amazing goal there for Brighton. Uh, under 18's Andrew Moran on Twitter this evening so you know hope always springs eternal lads there's always one coming through you think that's the guy he's the guy that's going <laughs> to elevate us so there you go there's a positive note Jamie alright okay always, thanks mate I appreciate coming through. I appreciate you finding that one for me Conan what about you do, do you know like because obviously this has become a very depressing chat and <laughs> we feel like <laughs> we feel very hopeless like you know what, what to do and stuff but I, I think the one thing that you can do and I think this this goes back to like your 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 talk about Twitter, like in the and the way it is at the minute, like with um just two polarizing sides all the time and nothing in between and no nuance. And big problem is that we always we take every game and every single VAR decision and bad referee decision and you know whatever, uh, and we try to sort of create a whole narrative for the rest of the season around that. So we need to just sort of take a step back and watch the game of football. And then we can just talk about that again. And like honestly, that's the biggest problem with co-commentators as well. If you listen, like even just during the game, even if they're taking a match as it is, but they see a pass in the fifth minute and then they start trying to sum up the whole game and the whole performance because of this pass. And then what they'll try and do is shoehorn what's happening in the rest of the game back into this opinion that they've had. So they're no longer even just watching the match, they're supporting the opinion that they've laid out. Like they want that opinion now to stock to rise and they don't care. In fairness, I I I'd literally take Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher pretending to scribble lines on a little telev- television again, <laughs> actually talking about football instead of acting like two bleeding politicians every time you see oh, them on the telly now. Like but I, I, 
Che Guevara trying to start a revolution. Like, you know what I mean? It, <laughs> can we just get back to football being football and not about self-interest all over the shop? Like, I had a I, genius idea, Shawnee, though, when you were talking about the Netflix thing. Because like, like, I, I think that I can't believe the Premier League haven't done that already. Like, you know, just, just call Premier League or whatever and you can subscribe yeah. to it. But choose your commentator or choose oh, your... well leader. done. That's worth an extra five pound yeah. a month, one hundred percent. Martin Toyle, I'd be flipping burgers before he knows the EBL <laughs> business. To be nobody tuning into that line. Now. But that's uh, it, out, like, of, I, oh, out of curiosity, lads, just to finish, who would your dream lineup be for commentators? Johnny. <laughs> um, what's Peter Drury and Jim Beglin are great. I think they're deadly together, and. Uh, they they go hand in hand. Uh, Drury always has the big moments. Like he always nails them, doesn't he? And Jim Beglin is just Jim Beglin is just a bleeding legend. How can you not like Jim Beglin? He got, he got in trouble last night for he got twenty twenty last night, didn't he? Trying to cancel him for saying Latino he. So yeah, I'll go with Jim Beglin. He needs a bit of support after his uh, <laughs> his me too moment this, this week. So him and Peter Drury, Paddy. Um, Drury is very good. Uh, Clive Tilsley, um, I know that's probably not going to be the best on an LFC. Oh, no, pod. no, Clive is Clive is Clive. in the comments. Clive's a is great he? show, yeah. yeah. I know he, he was a big United man, I know, isn't that he? Was. He's a United yeah, fan, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he he was there, hello, hello, Gerard in the final, so he's yeah. synonymous. You never with know with Liverpool, fans. wasn't it? That was the line yeah. you come out with, yeah. He, he's a he's another great one as well. That's a great show. Um, and then in the co-coms, I would probably say I love, I do love Cara. I, I like him wherever he's put, but I do like him in the co-coms. And I know <laughs> this is definitely, you can't say this anymore, but I did love Andy Gray on the co-coms back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe somebody put that in the comments that you were really? going to say Andy Gray? Oh, and then yeah. love <laughs> Perfect. Spoken like, like a true player. Brian Kerr is the best. Like Brian Kerr yeah. comes on League of Ireland games and he's like, that was a deadly penal. And he called Shakiri <laughs> yeah. Barrelard and all. It was great. He was telling this story about Shakiri showing up and now shin guards and all like that. That's what you want as well. That's real football. Character. That's br- Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's what you want. Connor, who's your dream team? What about Ray Hudson? No shout for him yet. Ah, oh, legend. He is Legend. fucking amazing. Like, does does it all that you watch it all classical match? It's always Ray yeah. Hudson, and uh, yeah. like he does some great takes on Messi, and he loves the South American. Keith Keith Plunkett is our Ray Hudson. Yeah, and like McCoy's is great. I I do like I do like Cara as well. Um, but the the reason I like Cara yeah, is is when he's just watching a game again. What I'm talking about, like not trying to have a narrative, not trying to look too far ahead, just just immerse yourself in the game, and that's what a good commentator does as well. It's what Martin Tyler doesn't do enough. Just just watch the game and enjoy it and get excited at the right time and, you know, just call it as you see it. And that, that's why I like Ray Hudson. That's why I like Ali McCoist. And that's why I like Cara when he's on cool comes. Like, right. Martin Tyler is like he's stuck in an office job that he hates for the last 40 years <laughs> and he's just showing up to work, especially when Liverpool are playing. Then my blade yeah. Ben Tech guys got that overhead and he was like, oh, well, that, that was all right, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, but there's no yeah, worse. A, Did you see the, he's a the league joke? He is it, it completely <laughs> takes you out of the game. Is that like what is this shit? Yeah. yeah, I find myself getting more annoyed about him than actually watching the game. Yeah, did you see the League of Ireland goal? Bows against Derry, halfway line. Ah, oh, magic, 
But the commentator was just like, and it's in two nil bows. It's like, what? <laughs> I'd have my top off running around. <laughs> just taking it down that and move on. Right, lads, I've kept you 26 minutes longer than I said it was going to. So uh, th- thank you all for your time. I'm going to do a few housekeeping uh, bits before we uh, before we wrap up. Um, so in terms of the website, we have had actually some fantastic articles come in uh, over the last couple of weeks. So if you are listening and you want to get involved, you've got a story to tell, uh, please do email it to lfcdaytrippers at gmail.com and we'll get it on the website right, right away. The Discord group, it will be linked below uh, in the description. Um, for those that don't know, it's basically a chat room. Uh, you download the app and it will be all the, ch- uh, the tripping, uh, Trippers listeners, contributors. If you haven't signed up yet, get involved, uh, pop in and say, hello to everybody in terms of subscribers we're very nearly at the 10k subscriber mark on youtube we will be giving away a ps5 and fifa 21 to one of our subscribers when we get to the 10k mark so if you haven't already make sure you subscribe tell your mates to subscribe to make sure you are in with a chance of winning we're finally part of the problem we're part of the problem jamie we should be giving away a football and a pair of boots now after what we talked about <laughs> no yeah we're turning more people <laughs> away from the game uh finally to finish uh don't forget check out footballprizes.co.uk if you want to win a signed and framed anfield road signed by none other than jürgen klopp uh what did i say i think it was finishes at 7 30 tomorrow um there's I think it was three ninety five to enter, and there are only sixty five tickets left. So be quick on that one, right? With that, thank you to Shawnee, Conan, Paddy for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure, Paddy. The first ever Evertonian on the LFC day trippers with his shirt to boot. I am impressed. You will never be invited back again. <laughs> right. With that, uh, big thanks to everybody that's been watching. If you could just leave us your thoughts on the show in the comments below, let us know what you think. All feedback is welcome, good and bad. As I said, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure you look after yourselves. Stay safe, and we will be back with you next Wednesday on the Midweek Fix. All the best. Okay, parachutes ready. Boy, the things I go through to get on all on rates as slow as 0.99% APR for 60 months on new vehicles with PenFed. You are aware that you don't have to be a military member to save hundreds on your auto loan, aren't you? Anyone can join PenFed. As someone terrified of heights, I probably should have looked into that. Probably. Drop me off at the shore. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash autos or call 1-800-247-5626. Advertised rates available through the PenFed car buying service. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Sports Social Podcast Network.